So, uh, yippee and welcome to the official season opener of Season 5 of Rusted Junk. And we have some guests, which we'll get to after the trailer. But we couldn't start Season 5, Cops and Robbers, without that Christmassy, of Christmassy Cops and Robbers film, Die Hard, the 1988 classic Die Hard, starring, need I tell you, Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, Paul Gleason, William Atherton, Hart Bochner, there's loads. We all know this film. It is going to be a really a good, hopefully, a nice diehard loving. Um, but anyway, here's the trailer. It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. Is Daddy coming home, Sue? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? And New York cop John McLean has come to see his wife. Instead. He's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. They're as brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. But I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants... Think, damn it, think! ...is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Hey, Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, we sound like a war to pieces! He's inside? Who is he? Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? So yeah, there we go. Gentlemen, what's a trailer? It's a proper 80s trailer. You know, you've got the music, I think, which is stolen from Lethal Weapon. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, generic trailer music. Once somebody uses it, then everybody uses it. Um, but anyway, um, introduction time, like you need introductions. Um, two regular friends of the show, two uh, not just listeners, but active participants. Um, we have Joe from the WDWNT. Yeah, did I get that right? 
Yep, that's correct. Wow. Well, okay, because I, I hadn't been practicing, but I suddenly went to Walt Disney World. I'll get it right at some point. And we've got uh, Dom from no particular podcast, just just comes on ours, and it's brilliant. So just the, free spirit. Yeah, I, here I am. Although, although, Charles, I was a bit bit disappointed not to get the invites to Lash Lampoon Christmas. Oh dear, I know we're we're going to be in tr- we're going to be in trouble on that one. You know, okay. let, let bygones be bygones, but um, well, yeah. but do do you want to say what what you would have given it? Ten. Yeah. Ten. There's no well, point a 10-point scale if you're not going to give 10s from time to time. So, yeah, 10 well, out of 10. Stonewall Classic, in my view. I did up it. When, you, when, when I discussed it with you, it did push up to a 9. Meanwhile, Joe's going, what? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I did listen to that podcast. I kind of agree with Dom. Um, you guys were a little harsh on it. Uh, it is a traditional Christmas movie over here. It's probably one of the most popular ones. But I think that the problem that I told you is your family should have watched the first two before they saw that because they didn't know who Clark Griswold was. And so I don't think it was so as, a reference. Yes, exactly. Mm. But then you've got to get past the very awkward start to National Olympics European Vacation, where the quiz show host kisses Audrey. That's that's kind of hard to explain <laughs> to, to, to anyone. Never mind kids. It's just it's just. Un- uh, file it under uncomfortable uncomfortable then and most definitely uncomfortable now but anyway um well moving from one bona fide christmas classic to another uh with die hard which can we all agree before we go any further that die hard is a christmas film do we agree do we agree i mean i strongly disagree that it is a christmas <laughs> film what it's because it's not a christmas film well, Joe, if I could... Uh, well, just, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, right, 20th Century Fox said last year, stating it's the greatest Christmas story ever told when they did a new trailer to mark the 30th anniversary. So basically they put that debate to bed and went, yeah, it's a Christmas film. They may have produced it, but they oh. didn't write it. <laughs> they didn't direct it. They didn't star in it. Bruce Willis had said during his roast that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a Bruce Willis movie. He didn't mean, he didn't mean it like that. What do you he mean he didn't mean it like that? He didn't mean it like that. He's, 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 on, a, he's on a roast. Um, of course he's going to joke around and he's going to say things like that. No, there's a big debate over whether or not this is a Christmas movie or not. I, I You could say, well, is Silent Night, Deadly Night, is that considered a Christmas movie? I don't know what that is or Santa's sleigh, like any kind of like slasher movie that takes place during Christmas that that's considered a Christmas movie. Well, you just, you've just given two examples of films that I've never heard of. Whereas you've got something like established, like Die Hard. Die Hard is Christmassy set at Christmas. It's tinsel. It's got everything. What do you want? It's got, can you, can you watch Die Hard any other month than than December? Yes. So it's not really a Christmas movie. But I can watch Home Alone in July. Well, that's kind of rare, I would say. <laughs> Dom, what's your th- th- what have you what do you think? Well, having anticipated the question, I did think about it <laughs> as I was watching the film. And the, the honest, diplomatic, middle-of-the-road, perhaps boring answer is, it isn't really, but it kind of is. It, it's neither one thing or the other, and that's why the debate persists, because there's just about enough Christmas in it 
to, to kind of justify calling it a Christmas film. But it's pretty peripheral, apart from the fact that it's a Christmas party. So, um, you know, yes, no, depends on your perspective. I don't think it's particularly relevant. And um, there you go. That's my my view on it. <laughs> no, that is a good answer. 100%, 100%, definitely, firmly on the fence. Uh, yes, very good, like, like that. Well, um, well, since you're on a roll there, Dom, um, you can kick us off. What would you give it out of 10? Are we just going scores or do you want, do you want a bit of explanation? Oh, a bit of scores and explanation, please. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I gave it a nine, nine out of 10. And it's a strong, strong nine as well. So Ooh. I didn't quite get the, the 10 card out uh, this time around. But yeah, you know, excellent film, you know, direction, writing, plot, performances, um, you know, innovation, creativity, the right balance of action and fun and humour. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, it was, I went in with high expectations. I've been seeing the film many times throughout my life and yeah, it didn't let me down. I actually watched it with my daughter as well and she loved it, having seen it for the first time. So yeah. Oh, cool. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm waiting for that day. The, the, the only thing that didn't make me score it at 10 was I thought it sagged slightly in the second half, but, um, but that's really being, really being picky. So yeah, <laughs> strong nine out of 10 for me. Ouch. Okay. Wow. Joe. Yeah. So this was the movie that made Bruce Willis a star. He was on Moonlighting before that. And that over here in the United States, that's what we mostly knew him from. And we were huge fans of Bruce Willis and Moonlighting. Um, I think he had done, did he do Blind Date before this? He did. He did Blind Date in 87. Yeah. That really came and went. Nobody really saw it. They oh, weren't really I interested in it. Memories of that. Well, I'm just saying what it was like over here. Right. Because it's hard for a TV star to transition to movies. But when Die Hard came out, that was another story. You know, his TV series was about over at that point. I mean, he did a couple of more seasons of Moonlight. He did one more. Moonlighting went on for Moonlighting was 85 to 89. So, yeah, it, it would have been it would have been released. And then we would have had another season after that. But he definitely made that movie. I mean, I, I can't think of too many other people that could have been in that role that would have made it better. Although maybe one, and it might be in trivia. Okay. You do, you do have people, right? I'm assuming. Uh, th- there were so many that I, d- I just didn't. I okay, didn't we'll, we'll discuss it then. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great movie. Um, it really redefined the action genre where I was telling you there, there, after that movie came out, there were so many movies and even until today where they'll say, well, this was die hard on a train or this is die hard on a boat. Yeah. We'll get to and that. Even like guardians of the galaxy, you could say that's die hard in space. Um, they use that almost like a, a genre. It, it was so impactful to, I guess, movie culture and, Mm. I do really think it's a great movie. I, I'd watched it recently, you know, for this podcast. And um, there's a couple of issues that I have. I kind of agree with what Dom had said. You know, we, we might go over it where I have some issues that uh, are somewhat questionable. But I'm also going to agree with Dom. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. All right. Okay. 9 out of 10. What over to me? It's a straight 10. It, it, <laughs> It's it's perfection. It's it's there is nothing there is nothing wrong with this film. And I tell you, nothing more, nothing higher. I, I mean, I watched it in four K, and and in four K, it looks like it was made last year. I mean, it just looks fantastic. Um, obviously, some of the um, scenes with the helicopter up at the top, 
you know, where they're, where they're, they've got special effects of the helicopter flying, flying above. You can see that that's matted, matted on. It doesn't take anything away from it. They were doing the best with what they had. But this morning I went to see um, the new Spider-Man film. And that's, that was filmmaking by committee, filmmaking by numbers. Just what do we need to do? We'll get this person in, get this person in, get this person in. Well, what, how are we going to make it all work? Well, we're not. We're just going to rely upon people going, oh, look, oh, look, oh, look over there. This is filmmaking. This, this, you know, we've done a lot. We did season, uh, season, season three, season three with um, action films. And we covered, you know, the, the, the things that you would expect us to do, like Commando and, you know, um, Commando's just death. You know, it's just death. It's just bullets. And death is it? Is it great? Of course it is. Is it? Is it? Is it? Would you want to watch it again? Absolutely. But this comes along and goes. I'm just going to turn the action genre film right on its head. You're going to have a complete, um, the most unlikeliest of heroes. I mean, you know, not that I'm watching it in 4K, but Bruce Willis's muscle definition is pretty much nil. You know, he doesn't look like the action hero. He just looks like a New York cop. He looks like, you know. Um, I think he even says in Die Hard 2, he said, I'm you know, the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, and it, even when you watch this, it's, it just still holds up and it's still given that reference. So out of all the action films that, that you know, people still quote now from the 80s, Die Hard's pretty much probably the, the one because I think a lot of people, a lot of people love it. Um, you're right, Bruce Willis coming, um, riding high on Moonlighting, which is one of my favourites shows of the eighties um, until they ruined it um, and got, got them together, <laughs> which that's it. Pretty much you introduce Mark Harmon into a show. Mark Harmon plays the the doctor, they get together and then it's just, I mean, and there are still, still some memorable scenes, yeah. the memorable shows after that. But yeah, they, once you, once the sexual chemistry goes, that's it. Um, but yeah, 10 out of 10, uh, I remember watching it in the cinema with everybody else. Um, the they he turned the volume up far too far too loud. Um, he hadn't got a clue the guy that ran the cinema. He really didn't, and he just turned it up to presumably twelve. Because when the airplane scene comes, we all just clamped our <laughs> clamped our ears in unison. Everyone in the cinema just felt like it were, our ears were bleeding. Um, but yeah, it set set the tone. Um, I, I think it's perfect. Is, is but, that yeah. your first? Is that your first ten then, Charles? And your? Uh, I think so. I, you have. I, I have been lambasted, particularly by yourself, your good self, for not giving tens when it's an obvious ten. Well, this is, this is an obvious ten. You know, that Back to the Future is a is an obvious ten. Um, you know, there there are some films which are just you know perfect. There are some films that people think are perfect, like Gremlins, for example. I'd give Gremlins seven or something like that just off the top of my head but i know some people that equally would go well that's my go-to christmas film that's that's the thing i like to do so um this is mine i always post every and i will post it again even though i watched it yesterday i will post on uh every single year i post it's beginning to look a lot like christmas and i put the uh, uh the logo for Die Hard on there and everyone goes oh yeah yeah it's about time i should watch it I'm a bit behind on my Christmas films this year. We only watched, I watched Love Actually with Amy, which is um, uh, a very odd choice, but she loved it. 
and I didn't realise there was that much swearing in it. There's quite a lot. I, um, I, I don't know so much about Christmas film, but if we think about it as an action film, then I, I did think, is there a case that this is the best action film of the 80s? And I, I got I got a list of three, and this is on it. So okay. Well, the only thing that could, could compete with it would be um, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Aliens. I thought, you know, that those were pretty... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Aliens. And, and like, aliens is kind of, is it action? Is it sci-fi? You know, where does it sit in that, that Venn diagram? But yeah, so I thought either this... Red has lost Ark Aliens, but this probably is the quintessential one, isn't it? The kind of most authentic action film out of those. Yeah, films. that's a good shout. What do you think about uh, that, Joe? Yeah, no, I would agree with that, except I would throw in Rambo Part 2. You know, not that it's a, it's a great story, but it has a lot of action in it. And again, that was another, made a huge impact over here, where everybody wanted to look like Sylvester Stallone, and they started joining gyms, and they wanted his body like that, you know? Um Speaking of bodies, I disagree with you about Bruce Willis. Look at him behind you. You don't think that he's got a decent body behind you? I mean, he might not be Schwarzenegger. Well, he's not Schwarzenegger. He's not Stallone. He's not Van Damme. He's not Seagal. He's not any of them. He doesn't have a pot belly. Uh, When I was watching it recently, I was like, yeah, you know, his shoulders are pretty tight and everything. Again, he's not super bulk, but his chest looked okay. Um, I I thought he looked fine. I mean, yeah, he's losing again, his hair. he doesn't look. He's not your average. He's he not your average care. action hero. But that's what's great about him too is that you know he doesn't care. He, if you look at him, his back was hairy. You know, he didn't shave his back or anything like that. He just was that type of guy that didn't care, and that's why so many people out there liked him. So many guys liked him because yeah, they saw themselves in in that character. Well, I I. Always when I was watching Moonlighting, I I always wanted to have the sass of David Addison. And I think, you know, when he carries bits of that character into this one, I kind of like feel the same. You kind of like, you know, any of us put in that situation, we wouldn't have the wherewithal or whatever to to do what he's done. But, you know, he gets shot, his feet get shredded, you know, he gets shot once. um, in the back, as he says, he's moving, uh, moving away. You know, he goes through everything, um, and and I think when we get to roll call, it's, it might be worth comparing it because I'd be interested to know your thoughts on Die Hard Two, which um, actually sounds like a perfect, almost sounds like I planned it. Um, that we're just moving to roll call because I've got a particularly delicious film for people to check out, and it will be a Bruce Willis film, very contentious. Very contentious, but let's go to roll call. Anyway, here we go. Here's roll call. Roll call. So you can't start without mentioning Bruce Willis. So before we go into the into the films, favorite Bruce Willis apart from this, favorite Bruce Willis performances. What do we, what do we think? Let, let, let Joe go first because I've got a bombshell to drop. Whoa! I, I would say uh, Unbreakable. I really like that movie. Ooh. Two bombshells then, <laughs> Joe and myself. Crikey, unbreakable, unbreakable was borderline unwatchable. Oh what? <laughs> was, was, I fell asleep in it. That's one of the best superhero movies ever made. You need to watch it again. What for those for those not watching on video? And if you're not watching on video, why not? My incredulity has just manifested itself in uh, the the best superhero. What? Not only is that the best superhero movie, that's the best M. Night Shyamalan movie. 
Well, that's still I good. It's well, better than, than so, The Sixth Sense. Uh, no, I, I love that movie. I, I think it's great. Uh, I, again, we're, we're not going to review that movie, but I would advise if anybody has not seen it, they should check that out. Bruce Willis is excellent in it. Um, oh, Samuel don't, Jackson. don't check it out. Don't no, check, it, check out. it out. Don't, don't check listen. it out. Charlie's not always right. <laughs> oh, well, uh, well, well. see, with Charlie, it's <laughs> like he either gives something a ten or he gives it a zero. I don't think I've ever given anything a zero. No, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, well, like, wow. that's stolen my thunder. My, my bombshell by comparison is just like a pebble being dropped in in a saucer of water. Um, yeah, my, <laughs> my controversial remark was going to be like, this could be Die Hard could be the best. Uh, action film of the 80s, but I think it's probably only my third favourite Bruce Willis film. I, but I was going to say Pulp Fiction, I would say, and right. Sixth Sense. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those two, but no, Unbreakable, I didn't have on my list. I was, for good reason, Dom, for, for a very good reason. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's, he's been involved in some absolutely brilliant films, let's put it that way. So He has, and funny, funny you should mention that. So yes, we do have Blind Date, which he made before this. Um, he he then stars in weirdly. Look who's talking. Um, as the baby in both sequels. Let's not talk about that. That's not the bombshell. The film I want everyone to check out. And if you haven't watched it, it's the most it's the most bizarre film, mainstream if you can call it that film that I think people could ever see. And that's Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk is. You think Hudson Hawk is brilliant, unbreakable? Are, are you brilliant. out of your mind? It is brilliant. <laughs> You've got Sandra, uh. Sandra Bernard, James Coburn, um, Richard E. Grant, Danny Aiello. Oh, the list goes on, and it doesn't make any sense. Andy McDowell doing an impression of a dolphin. It doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't work on paper. You're about to tell me, Joe, it doesn't work even not on paper, <laughs> even on film. It's awful. I mean, it's okay, but it, it's great. You know, <laughs> it would be at the bottom of my list. I would say, <sighs> well, not the bottom, bottom, but you know, the bottom tier. You wouldn't be putting, oh, okay, bottom tier, because after that, you've got Pulp Fiction, of course, um, Zed's Dead Baby. Um, you've got 12 Monkeys. You've got the fifth. 12 Monkeys, that's an underrated It is. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think we'd all agree on that one. I don't think there'd be any disagreement. And equally, hopefully, with his ne- the next one, The Fifth Element. Oh, yeah, that's really good. I mean, I know, Joe, you bought that when you bought the TV behind you. Um, for those uh, for those listening, Joe's, Joe's just invested in this funky lighting, which I'm going to get for, my, for this room at some point. I'm going to get some nice lighting like that. I've got some... Um, um, Bought, bought myself some uh, um, st- uh, some decorations for it. So I'm going to have a grey sports almanac in there. I'm going to have the um, license plate nervous, and I'm going to have my uh, stripes stripes Funkos uh, pop figures in there. So yeah, hopefully, bit of obscurity, bit of bit of bit of reference. But but then uh, after the fifth element, you got Armageddon. Where do we stand on Armageddon? Do we like? Right. Now, I would say that's more towards the bottom for me. Oof, tough crowd. Tough crowd. And then, then we got The Sixth Sense, which I think we said. And then after he made Red and Red 2 with um, Helen Mirren and, and uh, assorted oldies, it, just, it doesn't do anything anymore, really. Um, let's, let's, don't, don't Google this and don't watch it, but don't watch uh, the... The Die Hard 
like advert that they made last year. I forgot what it was called. Uh, it was like um, oh, it was Die Hard Battery. Die, yeah, it was it was for Die Hard Batteries. It's dreadful, and it's basically like everyone involved. You should be ashamed of yourselves. I mean, it's bad enough that when we get to uh, it was to, to the other Die Hards. Oh, it was I'd rather watch that commercial than uh, Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk. Okay, that's fine. But so, can can we agree that Die Hard Two? is on the same level yeah, than, than I say Die Hard. Dom looks really, like he's itching to work. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's right up there. I'd say more like 8 out of 10 rather than 9 out of 10 territory. But yeah, clearly a you know, very good sequel. Die Hard with a Vengeance? Uh, it, you know, it follows the normal path, in my view, of they start to tail off, really. you know. Um, in fact, yeah. I haven't forgotten that um, the... When, when I was telling my daughter I watched it with, I said, yeah, this, is, this one, Die Hard 2, um, Die Hard with a Vengeance, A Good Day to Die Hard. I'd completely forgotten there was Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> that one, uh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I had to double check on Wikipedia. I haven't been uh, hacked. So or... is Live Free, Die, die Hard, die Hard 4.0? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's not very good. <laughs> and the last film was, oh, dear goodness. Again. Best, best title, but yeah, worst Yeah. Worst film, yeah. Oh, was that a good day to die hard? That's where he's with his his son. Oh God, the, the less said about that, the better. Um, interesting fact: when when Die Hard Two came out, we we had to. I was living in Shropshire. We had to drive to the nearest multiplex, which was the UCI in Telford, which is about forty five minutes away. Um, and they were doing a double bill of Die Hard, Die Hard Two. So you would be one of the first people to watch it after you watch Die Hard. So we got in there. We sat in the cinema and we watched, watched, and they put Die Hard 2 on. And we're like, oh, okay, I thought this was supposed to be a double bill. At the end, they realised the mistake they'd made and said, oh, we're really sorry, we should have shown you Die Hard and then Die Hard 2. Does hmm. everyone want to stick around to watch Die Hard? And we're like, well, yeah, because that's why we're here. I mean, fine, we're watching it in a double way. But Die Hard 2 is interesting because the theatrical version is a 15, but the Blu-ray version is an 18. Um, and I realised that when I watched Die Hard in the cinema, I wasn't watching, sorry, Die Hard 2. I wasn't watching Die Hard 2 because it was all Melon Farmer. It was all, they they cut out so much of the swearing. The bit with the icicle of the guard where he sticks the icicle in his eye and then breaks it off. That's That wasn't in the theatrical version I saw, but that bit's left in. And I'm kind of like, oh, I feel a bit shortchanged that I'm supposed to be watching a film that turns out there was a far better version out there, but. Yeah, I think Die Hard 2 more than holds up, uh, especially the end with the Zippo. Oh, that's just so good. Yeah. Anyway, um, on to the next. We'll, we'll be here all afternoon. Um, Alan Rickman. Mem- memories of Alan Rickman, gentlemen. What 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 do we think? I mean, it's, it's not often you see a breakthrough performance of this kind of magnitude, is it, really? Yeah. It's, um, you know, to say he started big, it would be an understatement. Yeah, he is probably the... Is he the most memorable thing about this film? Yeah, him and Bruce Willis probably you know, both launched both their careers in different ways. But yeah, a standout performance. I think you know, I read a few reviews. A lot of critics said it was the best thing about the film. And I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but he's right up there. Yeah. Hmm. Fantastic, fantastic performance. Yeah, yeah. What about what about other other performances? What about other films? What do, what do we... Uh... Well, you, you know, and I always like to try and shoehorn in an Oscars reference for... Uh, 
whenever I'm on your podcast, and I have got some material for later. But yeah, excellent. He, he won the BAFTA for best supporting actor for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, didn't he? As the he's show brilliant. Of Nottingham. And, he's, and again, that was another yeah another epic performance. And I am the biggest Kevin Costner fan in the world, but even I have to admit that Alan Rickman up, upstaged everyone on that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was good in that. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think he he definitely contributed to the success of that movie. He was one of the greatest villains in movie history, I would say. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know there's like Darth Vader and whoever else, but he just did such a great job. And this was, I think, one of his first starring roles. Like, wasn't he on, you know, theater before that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd only um, been in Hollywood. I mean, he'd only been in Hollywood, I think, a month. And somebody said, "Do you want to make? Do you want to make an action film?" He's going, "Well, I don't, I don't, I don't do them. I don't do those." And his agent went, "This, this could be really good for you," he says, with a premonition. Yes, turns out that it was one of the best. I read best. that. Um, I read that they'd seen him on the stage of Broadway doing Dangerous Liaisons on the um, on the theatre. Oh, okay, and that, that's what inspired them to cast him for this performance so you know his kind of stage presence and his theatricality um which kind of makes sense i guess if you see this because i think whilst robin and prince of thieves was an excellent role this this one is more nuanced you know he's not quite as kind of cartoonish and over top he's mm. just a really really good performance i think he is and he can and he carries it over i mean obviously i'd written down robin hood one of the films that i think i've mentioned so many times for, for different reasons but if by now if you've been start if you've been listening since season one and you haven't seen the Tim Robbins film, Bob Roberts, you really do need to watch that because Alan Rickman is fantastic in that. I mean, he's really good. Um, he's also in Dogma. Um, he plays the Metatron in, in Dogma. He's, actually, I think he's, again, what he touches is brilliant. Galaxy Quest uh, He's in Galaxy Quest, which has a huge cult following. Um, I, I don't know why I don't get that but I know that a lot of people do. There's I really like that movie. Yeah. And there's a lot of, and I know you were talking when I first listened to your podcast, you were talking about the documentary that was, that was on Amazon. Um, no surrender. Um, and I thought, well, if I like galaxy quest, I'm sure I'd love that documentary, but I, I didn't really get much out of it. Um, he's in love actually. Um, Cause obviously just, just watch that. Um, and a professor Snape in Harry Potter, of course, which again is makes that role his own and when you get to the final uh when you get to the final book uh, i'm not saying the film because the final book you realize what a sympathetic character he really is in all of it um i remember being at um capital one uh with you don um and when the fifth book came out you went oh yeah hagrid dies <laughs> and it was it, i hadn't even taken it out the wrapper i was like what yeah yeah, yeah i've read hagrid dies and yes, he was just having me on, but I did believe you for a few hours <laughs> at the very least. So yeah. Now, now, now you've undermined my reputation and standing in Joe's eyes. I'm the sort of guy that gives out spoilers. That if that ever happened, Joe, which it seems unlikely, <laughs> and I don't recall it, but it was it was many many years ago. No, it was. dude. I, I see. We may have been separated at first because I do that too. I give out spoilers. <laughs> I, I usually ask them first. It's like, do you want to know? Like I was asking Charlie for about a year. Do you want to hear what happens with Spider-Man: No Way Home? Cause I kind of knew the story with that and he's like, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But I, I love to find spoilers before the movies. Come I do out. ask you occasionally. I do tell you, I don't mind you spoiling it. Well, you're like, does it suck? <laughs> it's well, like, I wish somebody had told me not to watch Falcon and the winter soldier because that's six hours of my life. I really do want back. 
because that is <laughs> oh god i haven't even watched loki so th- th- there's no there's no hours to take back from it However, i was gonna say i'm sorry i was gonna say with alan rickman though yeah What's sad sorry. though is i think he's mostly going to be remembered as professor snape and people tend to forget his role in Die Hard is Hans Gruber. I don't think, I think the people that will remember that will be all the right people. I mean, you're mm. going to have an audience that, that, that you can have an audience that would grow up within a Snape. And then, you know, as, as Dom's pointed out, um, you know, you know, you watched, you watched Die Hard with your daughter. Was, was your daughter saying, Oh, that's Snape. Was there, was there any references there? No, she didn't. Uh, she didn't recognise him as that. She thought he looked like a cross, and there's perhaps a bit of a British reference here between Gareth Southgate and Harry Kane. And uh, once you once you've seen it, <laughs> I'm afraid. So that, that was her intellectual insight into uh, Alan Rickman. That he we just like. lost our American. We just lost our American listeners. Yes, England's soccer manager and uh, one of the players. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Oh, anyway, on to on to the uh, Bonnie Bedelia. His wife, um, Holly Gennaro, or at the end, sorry, Holly McLean. Um, looking up, she didn't do anything. She starred in Presumed Innocent with Harrison Ford in 1992. Oh, yeah. um, and then I'm scrolling through everything and going, I, I mean, my usual thing would be stuff. So if we get an old actor that's playing something in, in, an, in an 80s film, you get, they were in The Love Boat, they were in A-Team, they are in Miami Vice, they were in all the usual suspects. Here, nothing. She, she starred in a, in a in the TV show of the Steve Martin film, Parenthood. I don't remember her. No? Oh, it was I mean, a TV show. That the it was TV. a TV show of, of yeah, Parenthood. Yeah, I remember the series. Yeah, nobody watched that. <laughs> right, okay. It's a bit like the Ferris Bueller series. I know that that's out there, but I never want to at least acknowledge it or say that I've seen any part of it. So, um, sorry, go ahead, Dan. So, so as I said, yeah, I agree. Her film career was, was a bit underwhelming, but there were a couple of interesting things about when I looked into her. So her maiden name, the actual actress is, is Culkin and she's the aunt to um, Coley and uh, Kieran Culkin. So oh, she- hmm. my goodness, that that's, that's amazing. That's worthy of the, uh, I'm not, uh, sorry quite, no, no, no. You're quite right to involve brilliant. stuff like that. And right up at the front. I like that. That, that was my that. more kind of uh, just a, a bit random point, but I'm trying to be uh, a little bit righteous here. But I thought another interesting thing is she was 40 when this film was shot, yeah, in 1988. And I just don't think that would happen particularly these days, would it? Like the leading woman, uh, I know she's not on, on screen for that long, but, you know, 40 years old, she's not your stereotypical kind of, you know, beautiful blonde bimbo type. And I thought that probably was representative of the film, really, just in the same way that Bruce Willis isn't, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, it's a bit... Yeah, that's a good point. He's got a, a you know, wife and an actress who you can actually believe would be his his wife and, a, you know, would be a, a businesswoman. So I thought that was pretty well done by the director and the casting side, you know, to, to put her into this role. And it's and that's a good point because John McTiernan, the director, you know, had done Predator um, and then did The Hunt for Red October in 1990, which I think everybody that knows me knows that I adore those i mean adore all those films but you know you've got hunt for red october is just just absolutely incredible well he probably warrants his own little call out on, on roll call because i thought the, yeah. direct, the direction is the whole the film was brilliant and he probably yeah. does it 
Well, yeah, yeah absolutely. He deserves a credit for that. And it was no surprise when I looked at his uh, resume to see that he did that. Yeah, as you say, Hunt for Red October, Tor, excellent thriller, Predator, you know, great action film. And um, mm. yeah, so hats off. Uh, hats and, off. and you could argue Predator, Predator changed the action film. It changed what Schwarzenegger was doing at the time, which was just, uh, uh, let's be honest, mindless fun, mindless stuff. It was great. Again, would you watch Commando again? Yes, you watch it again. Is it going to win any awards? No, but are, are people going to, more importantly, are people going to remember it? And I think when you look at Predator, Predator just just came from nowhere and went, I'm just going to merge these genres, if you don't mind. And I know it's going to, it's going to feel a little bit like Alien, tiny little bit like Alien, but we're going to introduce this new protagonist that can camouflage itself. And it's just, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's a good shout. But the director, again, just tell me to shut up if you want to do this in trivia time. He had a quite a colourful private life. Did you, <laughs> did you see that? No, no, no. By, by all means, tell us about uh, Mr. Tiernan's. So he, he got charged with federal crime and did um, just under a year in prison uh, in the in the States for um, illegal wiretapping and lying to the FBI. So he What year was that? Was it after he made the films? Yeah, yeah, it was in, it was in the nineties, I think. I didn't, I didn't make a note of the the year that he went down. But yeah, long protracted court case. He went all the way to the Supreme Court. Ended up doing, I think, just under twelve months for yeah, as I say, wiretapping his because he also did on a less successful note that remake of Rollerball. Um, obviously, the original one, classic. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was some dispute with his producer. He got a, had a private investigator to bug the guy and um, got caught. And yeah, anyway, ended up. Going bankrupt and uh, didn't. Ah, but, but a good well, do- plus side, yeah. for, will forever be in our hearts, so you know, in that sense. <laughs> but it's fine. I was going to say uh, with Bonnie Bedelia, yeah, that was one of my issues. I, I really didn't like her that much. Ooh, um, and it's kind of like what Dom had mentioned that you know she was. I don't know how, how old was Bruce Willis at the time when he made the movie. Ooh. 37, I made a note, yeah. Well, I guess that's not that much older, but um, I, I think I would have appreciated if uh, he had someone more attractive as his wife. I just, <gasps> sorry. Uh, she. I don't think she was all that, especially that, uh, who was the, the guy? Um, was it Wallace? Ellis. Uh, Ellis. Yeah, that he was trying to nail her. It's like, come on. <laughs> You know, with an office full of, of all those women, he, he wants to nail her. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, maybe it sounds a little misogynist, but <laughs> that's how I felt back in the 80s. And that's kind of how I felt seeing it now, you know, right. that she wasn't all that in a bag of chips like that. Uh, everybody, you know, she had a good job and she was going up in places, but he could have done better. There was something that bothered that something that I mean probably we'll get to that in in when we talk about the film but there's something that bothered me about you know she was going uh the reason why i changed my name to Gennaro was because you know it's a japanese firm and they they very much want to do things by the by the book you know they have a very they have a culture about them yet takagi has no problem with alice being this com- complete misogynist you know chasing anything with a with a skirt sniffing coke off the you know the the table and all this sort of stuff and you're like how does that match up then that 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 doesn't that he lets a lot of things slide you know people seem to be going into offices just to shag each other in on this party and you're kind of like 
yeah, it blows the kind of whole, well, we we need to honour this Japanese you know, tradition and all this sort of stuff. And everyone's like, don't really care. Well, I think that was her excuse. I don't think it was necessarily, um, what's his name? Ellis. No. Oh, Taka- <laughs> Takagi. 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 Yeah, I, I don't think it was Takagi. Uh, it's probably she, she was in the middle of transitioning to being a single woman, and she's like, "Well, let me change my." But name. then that doesn't make that that doesn't make sense because what what she she's it's quite clear that she wants to get back with Bruce Willis right from the start. Prepare the room, um, you know, just ringing the housekeeper, making sure that the the, the bed's ready. It's quite clear that she wants him to come and stay with the family. I think not, it's more for the kids. It's not because then there's what there's one line that says it where he goes, the kids would love it. And he goes, no, nah, the kids are. And she goes, I would too. And she delivers that line. And you're like thinking she's wanted this all the time. She's wanted, she wants to rekindle whatever went wrong between them. She, she wants to, she wants to do that. Anyway, we're getting into little bits of the film. Okay. We, we do have, Reginald Vella Johnson, or Reginald Reginald Vell Johnson. Sorry, I should say. Um, uh, I mean, I recognise him because he's the limo driver in Crocodile Dundee, um, and I love him in that. I mean, I love Crocodile Dundee. I, I genuinely that's that for me is nine or ten. Um, it's delightfully politically incorrect, um, but. It does it with a, a little nod and a wink. Um, would it stand up now? I'm surprised it hasn't been on the list of films to cancel. But um, he's 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 brilliant in that. He's he makes the, the, there's a lot of components in Crocodile Dundee, and he's definitely one of them. He does exactly the same in this film. Al Powell is a great is a great character. Um, one of the things that Mandy said, she actually gave it eight and a half. Uh, but she said one of the things that gave gave the marks went down is because she didn't believe there'd be too much talking between them. Between that, th- that he would have been able to get anywhere near Bruce Willis, that you know this whole team would have would have taken over, and it wouldn't have been him that was chatting to him, and wouldn't have the downtime where he could say I once shot a kid, and you know, and all this sort, of, and have that sort of heartwarming. But he definitely brings the the, the helps the human element of the film. Without him, it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I res- would respectfully disagree. That I think that oh. I think I think she does. I think the use of the walkie-talkies and the way of kind of having a, a claustrophobic contained set, but then also bringing in an outside protagonist, I think that works quite well. And I don't. I think it probably is believable in the sense that if you established a connection with somebody mm. in that situation. Oh yeah, I I agree with you. And you know, from from you know Amanda's point of view, she just said, "Well, I did that. Just wouldn't happen." What do you think, Joe? Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree more with uh, with Charlie. Um, I think that once, yeah, sorry, I'll mark it down. Who had December 2021? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think once uh, people that were above him came down and were in charge, they would have just thrown him aside or told him to go home. Uh, I mean, that's more realistic, mm. and they wouldn't give a damn, you know, about what Bruce Willis thought that he'd rather be talking to Al than anybody else because he wasn't really a terrorist you know he just was an inside guy like if he was a terrorist yeah that's another story that a terrorist might feel comfortable with with a certain person um that's trying to you know 
diffuse his his motivations but did you um so is, is there anything else that he's considered famous for uh well he was in turner and hooch um with tom hanks i don't remember uh, but he was in the tv recent tv series that's apparently still going on um he's in that so he's still going well um, he played his original he's still playing his original character from the Turner and Hooch film, which what I, from memory serves me was blooming awful, blooming awful. He's he's mostly known over here for that show, Family Matters. Okay, I, I had a show called Heart of Dixie, which apparently he made quite a lot of, but again, I haven't seen that. But no, you don't know, you've What's never heard of Family Matters, no, Don? No, I don't, don't think it's one of those ones that crossed over. No, um, there's a character called Urkel. And, uh, you know, he's like this uh, black nerd kid. He's got the glasses, suspenders. Uh, he was huge over here. I guess it was the 90s. Okay. Um, he was up there with, with Pee Wee Herman. Um, he just Ooh. was, took over like like you wouldn't believe over here. And he was the father in that show. Um, and it, it went on for a long time. And. That's basically if you sort put a picture of him up there, that's what he would be remembered for over here right. for family matters. See, tell you so the conversations that I have with you, especially when I make a podcast, especially when we were doing season two with the like the youth, you know, the teen films. It surprises me that that I think, oh well, everyone knows who James Spader is. Everyone knows who Andrew McCarthy is because they were in Pretty in Pink. You know, it's just wonderful. And then I talk to you, Joe, and they go. Nah, nobody, nobody would remember that. And I'm like, these films are beyond iconic, and yet everyone's going, "Oh, is that the guy from the Blacklist?" I'm like, "What? <laughs> this is J- this is James Spader. This is this is legendary." I couldn't name a James Spader movie other than Ultron. Joe, then I may not speak to you for, and I don't think I could. Andrew McCarthy, he did the Weekend at Bernie's. I think that's all I really remember him from. Yeah. Not very popular over here. Well, speaking of teen films, Paul Gleason, um, the police chief, uh, he was um trading places. He played the gorilla, he played the guy that ends up in the gorilla suit that gets into a uh, Altercation, he said. It says for a uh, for the younger younger audience that might be listening. Although we might be about to swear profusely when we talk about the film, so consider this a warning if you do have young ears. Um, of course, he will always be Mister Vernon in the Breakfast Club. I was going to say, oh, that awful movie that you like. Oh, Joe, Joe, let's not. It's Christmas, man. Let's not resurrect, you know, old old wounds. But I know I'm right. In fact, in fact. I, I don't think it's ever been uh, well. I know we will have discussed it. Don Breakfast Club. Where do you stand? Uh, yeah, it hasn't aged well. Sadly, oh. I, I watched it with my eldest oh. daughter. It's like a rites of passage. Here's some classic '80s movies, and yeah, it left me feeling a bit cold, to be honest. It's um, I, I think it's one of those great movies. When you're younger, you perhaps relate to it a bit more. When you look at it through an adult's eyes, I think it looks um, yeah, a bit hackneyed. And uh, you are not- you are both both Christmas Grinches. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not being funny. Breakfast Club is it's pretty much oh, it's pretty much perfect. Right, Charity rules. Right. Well, I carry. I, I'm like the the head judge on Strictly. I get two votes, so 
Fair. <laughs> um, speaking of opening old wounds, I, I nearly had a uh, unpleasant <laughs> flashback when William Atherton appeared. Oh, because... I, I think we were going into next. Yes. Yeah, he was well, um, He was the best thing in Real Genius, but he was the worst thing in here. I think that's kind of his level, really. His, um, yeah, he's not... <laughs> that, yeah, was... Real Genius, Don. Yeah, Real Genius. Joe, was oh, he? Oh, I didn't like Real Genius. Professor Hathaway. He was the um, he was the professor in Real Genius, and he was the TV news guy in here that um, went to. Oh, he's the family. guy from Ghostbusters, right? Walter Peck from Ghostbusters, yeah. But forget Ghostbusters, Real Genius, Professor Hathaway. Are you well? Are you going to compare those two? <laughs> what to compare those two performances? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Miles even remember better. It. Miles better. My favorite. I mean, he's he's good in this, and he's he's okay. He's he's probably a little bit better in Die Hard too. Um, but yeah, he'll always be Professor ha- Professor Hathaway for me. So, real genius. It's where it's at. It's where all the cool kids are, at right, Joe. Oh, well, I'm just relaying what happened over here in the states. Nobody saw Weird Science, or what is, is it was Weird Science? Real genius. Real genius. Nobody saw Weird Science either. <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be the same movie. Oh my, Tom. Uh, I'll I'll just edit Joe, the rest of Joe out. Yep, so. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it's I'll, I'll use sign language. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll get a crayon and put it over the... Uh, Speaking of crayon, why don't you stand up so everyone can see your shirt? Oh, my no God. One... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. I was going to that... get the Christmas hat. Yeah, but you're saying I should... You're saying I should be like this and, and the camera should be... Well, yeah, that's true. Good for your quads, Charles. <laughs> yeah. I might, yeah, I might wear this out, and then people go, "Good God, the guy's the guy's buff as anything." Well, if let me I, ask you. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going off tangent, but with that shirt that was in the movie, yeah. So, was that blood or was that uh, lipstick? Blood. I don't. I, that, I. That's that's blood. I don't. I mean, know, that isn't no. blood. But no, when I watched it recently, and you saw it in 4K, to me, it looked too neat to be blood. Where did he get the? Where did he get the lipstick from? I'm sure there was probably some in an office that, you know, there's lots I mean, of women Joe, there. I mean, Joe, this is 1988. Lipstick. You know, I know gentlemen can carry whatever they, they like in their man bags these days. And absolutely, you know, more power, more choice. Well, but at that watch time, it Joe, again. I don't think a German terrorist was carrying lipstick in the... There were desks there. Yeah, but he didn't get out of the lift. I, I would say watch it again. You let me He hadn't written blood. it. The guy was already in the lift and it wasn't written on the shirt. Too, so he did everything neat, in the lift. Too neat to be blood. Sorry. Well, Bruce Willis might be a passing like Stallone. I mean, Stallone was an artist in real life. You know, maybe Bruce Willis had a, uh, had a okay. hidden talent. Um, let's get to the end. Good, good Lord. We're nearly an hour in and we're, we're no, barely no, out. No, 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 we're still not our roll call. I've got two. I've got two others. That's oh, right. Because we're going to do Carl, yeah. We're going to do the terrorist Carl, aren't we? We are going to do that. But before we do that, we're going to do Hart Bochner, who's Ellis, who was famous for stuff. But superhero fans, he was the love interest in Supergirl. Was he really? I didn't. He know was. That. that was him. That's yeah. interesting. The guy that gets mesmerized and hypnotized and falls in love with. Oh, he's clean shaven in that movie. Yes, he is. Yeah. And Helen Slater, by the way, is the best Supergirl. But yeah, agreed, agreed, absolutely. My goodness, the young Charles did love that film 
So, um, so yeah, go on, Dom. Let's take it. Alexander Goodenough. Carl. Yeah, well, it, he, um, you know, his film career wasn't anything to write home about, but the guy had an extremely interesting life, didn't he? So he was the, um, what's the correct term? I can't remember. The, the main male dancer in the Russian Bolshoi Ballet, and he hmm. defected from the Soviet Union to the US in 1979, causing a fairly big diplomatic incident. This was news to me as I was uh, looking on Wikipedia for the uh, researching for this pod. But um, yeah, caused a standoff between Jimmy Carter and Leonard Brezhnev, which itself got made into a film um, called Flight 222, which I haven't seen, but... Oh, right, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. he, he defected. The Russians probably put his wife, who was part of the ballet, um, with him back on a plane to Russia, wasn't allowed to leave the tarmac, and led to kind of a diplomatic standoff that lasted you know, th- the best part of three days, apparently. So, yeah, pretty dramatic. Wow. He ended up staying, you know, spoiler alert, he ended up staying in the US, hence why he made... Uh, films like this and she ended up going back to Russia and she was relocated back there uh, under guard of the KGB um, so yeah you know interesting guy interesting story uh, mm. and pretty tragically died young age 45 of, yeah uh, 95 he died yeah yeah, yeah so but he did he did he was in witness um, and I do remember him from the um, the otherwise forgettable film The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and um, uh, Shelley Long from Cheers, uh, he played the sort of romantic guy that she was in the orchestra with. Um, yeah, um, and then lastly, we've got to talk about Robert Davy, Davy Davy, um, who played Special Agent Johnson. Of course, he's in the one of the greatest Bond films. He was in License to Kill. Yeah, I remember him from that. Um, at, at this point, uh, hopefully, Dom Dom was distracted at that point when I said that because. Uh, we might be getting into fisticuffs over the uh, over the airwaves over Zoom, um, but yeah, Joe and I, Joe and I are in agreement that Timothy Dalton was a fantastic Bond. No, I I, I like Timothy Dalton as Bond, but I, I didn't like that movie. Um, gritty it was, Joe. Very gritty. I, the one thing with Robert Davi though, that's he's got a really weird complexion. Mm. I'm yeah. surprised he made it in Hollywood. Well, he was, he was, I mean, when was License to Kill was a year later, it was 89. Hmm. Um, so he had Living Daylights in 87 uh, and then License to Kill in 89. So yeah, he, he had a good run in the, uh, in the eighties. I didn't copy anything else down. But... Was, he not, was he not in the Goonies? Is, is it what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. He was in the Goonies. Yes. That, that's where I thought you were going to, you know, that's right. the one that most sticks in my mind. But yeah, he was, he was good in that. Definitely file that under overrated films. Oh <laughs> the Goonies is just... You just out of control. The Goonies is... <laughs> right. Okay, wow. Well, Breakfast, I... Club, Breakfast Club stood the test of time, but Goonies is overrated. Goonies definitely overrated. Oh, no, I, I would prefer Goonies over The Breakfast Club any day. Oh, you prefer anything over... You'd prefer Real Genius. Real Genius or Breakfast Club? Me? Um, oh no! Well, I know you. I know what you'd say, but Joe, that seems like a uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> seems like a fair fight. Golden Eye, because I know Pierce Brosnan is uh, particularly. Uh, I know you love him as James Bond. <laughs> who, who are you talking to? You. <laughs> yeah, I don't like him. Having to get the moon now, Joe. <laughs> anyway, right, we made it. We made it out of roll call. Finally, we emerge. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the film. So 
the I think the 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 premise of this is uh, is great. I mean, we don't need to talk about every aspect of the film because I know that we probably got a lot of trivia and things that we'd like to talk about. But you know, standout performances are, as you say, Bruce Willis and and Alan Rickman. But every single person that's in the supporting cast plays things perfectly. I think, which is again why I think I give it the ten. But it's almost like the structure, the book that it was coming from is a lot darker. Um, but I, what's the book called? Uh, was it Nothing Lasts Forever? Um, and yeah, obviously it's a, it's a little different to this film. Um, well, it's a lot different to this film because um, certain people that you, that you would like don't make it. Um, but I think when, when we talk about putting a, 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 a whole film together, I think just, Everything works in this. I don't do. Do we? It's not dated, unlike a lot of eighties films. Do, do what do you think? Um, well, I, I, I disagree slightly with your assertion. I, I thought the only thing that counted against it was some of the supporting cast. I thought the terrorists. I thought everybody in the plaza. Well, that was pretty much nailed on. I just thought that between the kind of um, the police captain and the um, TV reporter. So that's the, the character we discussed in Roll Call there. Yeah. You know, they, they probably you know took lost a mark for me. But I think, yeah, it was really taught, really well written. And I, and I don't think it has days. If anything, I enjoyed it more. When I was looking at it through a more, through a more critical eye, I actually saw other stuff in it that I hadn't remembered, which I really enjoyed um, hmm. this time around. So yeah, I'd agree it hasn't dated. It, it is a great film. Maybe some of the supporting cast particular second half, you know, could have been trimmed or done differently, but uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Jared? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was dated. I mean, the only thing that it's weird is when you look at the computers and how they're a little confused by them at that point and that they needed that, that one guy to be the computer expert. Um, you know, it was funny. Like I, again, around that time computers were out for a little bit Um but I thought when he tied that computer to the chair and he threw it down the elevator, that it was like, damn, our computers blow up that that big. I mean, I didn't know it was the C4. You know, it's like I thought it was the computer that was causing all that damage. <laughs> well, I think they tried to create that uh, on MythBusters and they couldn't get it, they couldn't get it to explode. They couldn't get the, the catalyst was supposed to be the fact that the t- the, the computer monitor would blow up. And every time they did it, the computer monitor just disintegrated and nothing, nothing, nothing took. Sorry to spoil the, one of the, the best scenes in it. Well, look, I, th- I think if you're going back to the start of the film, I, th- I think the start of the film was, re- was really solid. I thought mm. you had like about 10, 15 minutes before the before the terrorists arrive on the scene where it's really well written, taught, you know, mm. you get the character of Bruce Willis through his conversation. He's all kind of massively signposted like it would have been in an army film of the era and I thought I thought yeah. you know, writing and the, the plotting characterization was, was spot on really so yeah de- definitely a- and some of the scenes as well so there's the scene with the the car with um Theo and Carl going going and then you've got the the van and then that disappears see I think that's a great scene because you've got the van going down and it's just one one continuous movement move, shot scene I just thought this these are the little things that I think that let, let you know you're in for a good two hours on this. You, you are going to be treated treated very well in this film because they are going to think about those sorts of things, think about those sort of camera angles. It feels like a sort of thinking man's action film. Um, 
if that's a if you can say that anymore, I'm not I'm not sure that's a, a I'm not sure it's a phrase you can use. Um, but it is it, it it definitely doesn't do things by the book. You don't know what it is you're expecting. There are things at the start that I think are a bit troublesome. Again, I talked about Ellis's behaviour, certainly in front of Takagi, the whether or not that would go. Um, I think when the doorman or the person that's in, on reception got shot, they make quite a lot of noise, despite the fact they've got silences. And the guy that's by the left would have heard all of that and would have come running and would have weapon drawn and would have started firing. Um Strong, strong disagreement here. I think one of my, I think my perhaps my favourite sequence in the whole film is that initial bit where the terrorists arrive and they just kind of go through this headshot. Uh, you know, there's stun grenades that they're throwing and um, you know, load more terrorists piling out the back of the van. I just think it's like a, a textbook in a complimentary way, like a, just how to do action. I thought, I thought it was really, really strong. Writing, writing the textbook. As in writing yeah, a new, yeah, new, new not, part? Not textbook as in formulaic, textbook as in like definitive, I suppose. Yeah, you know, just a really classy, taut piece of, of action and writing that I thought, you know, and, and I remember watching it through a much younger set of eyes than when it, when it first came out and mm. um, thinking how cool that was. You know, I was, I was kind of blown away by that. So I thought, I thought that was a really strong part of the film, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you too. I, I thought the beginning was great. Um, my problem, though, after watching it recently, is I felt like in a way they didn't really have a contingency plan. Like he kind of came up with that on the fly as to what they were going to do once uh, the cops came and, you know, they realized that Bruce Willis was the antagonist uh, against them. Um, I disagree. They had the ambulance ready to go. They did have the ambulance ready to go, but the way that he made it seem is yeah i guess yeah that that is confusing that i think about it because i I assumed he was going to kill all of the people there because he didn't want witnesses yeah but also and i don't know if this had to do with them ripping out the computers and all that um there were security cameras so there had to be some footage of them but once they were you know they were recognized and they said on the news this man is hans gruber he's Mm -hmm. been known for this I, I think that kind of screwed him over. Um, if he was going to escape, he was eventually going to be caught. And even the whole idea with what they were stealing, they I think they were mostly stealing like bearer bonds. That's right, 640 million. Um, see, now that I, I don't get to, because I think that if they tried to sell them or if they tried to, um, uh, you know, cash them out, I, I think that they would, would be caught for that too, because they but would know be that they'd be sitting on a beach earning twenty percent, Joe. I, th- I think they're as good as, they're as, good as cash on it. I think that's the, the the point to them. But I think that I think the way that the the plot point that you talked about earlier, Joe, <clears throat> the plan is to blow up the building, is it? That's what they've got, and they're assumed to be dead. You know, in the dust of the building. That's the um, yeah. I think that was the way they kind of squared that particular circle. Oh right, okay. So not just blow not just get the hostages up onto the roof and then blow the roof mm-hmm. to actually simulate their deaths at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't, you know, by the time they figured out, or if, if they ever figured out there were no dead hostages amongst the dust at the bottom of this rubble, then yeah, mm. you know, they'd be long gone. I think, I think that was the, which the is what, he, which is what he says that by the time they spend a month looking through the rubble, and, that, that's. I don't yeah. know if he's not taking us up too sober now. I thought a few kind of parallels or foreshadowing of, you know, the nine 11 attacks as well, you know, destruction, these big, Sky, you know, big big buildings, um, people falling off big buildings. You know, it was de- definitely. I know it's Los Angeles rather than New York, but definitely kind of made me think of that. Um, that right. program as well. 
But, yeah, no, me too. I mean, well, I, I used to work in the World Trade Center. I was on the 97th floor. And, um, you know, I, I think of the things that happened during 9-11, you know, it would have been horrible to get down from such a high flight. And that applies to the to Nakatomi Plaza. Um, you know, once they were on the roof, they were screwed. You know, if anything below them caught fire or they decided to blow up the building. So that definitely reminded me of 9-11, like you said, Don. But I still kind of think that I think their original plan was to kill all the hostages and then get the hell out of there. Um, I don't think that they really required the ambulance. They didn't need to hide, you know, create this whole thing that they, they were, they died along with the hostages. Um, I don't know that, that that's how I saw it. And I just felt it was a little shaky for me, you know, that they were like, well, now our contingency plan will be since he disrupted uh, any other whole terrorist activity or bank robbery or heist or whatever you want to call it. Um, we're going to make it where we kill them all. And then we make it that we died in the, in the process and we escaped in the ambulance, but it just didn't seem that way from the beginning. Like if things went smoothly, I don't think they would have followed that route. I think they just would have right. gotten in their cars and gotten the hell out. Some, some cool, some cool scenes at the start of the film as well. You know that uh, German guy Isaac Carla getting mixed up, uh, just sliding down the stairs. You know he doesn't walk down the stairs like a normal man. He's that ruthless. Oh, that's his brother, the guy that the guy with the. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Chainsawing the phone lines. Carl, Carl doesn't give him much time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's not. It, it's not uh, uh, by the book. I know I'm skipping skipping a little bit. <clears throat> the bit where he ties the 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 fire hose around him to jump off the building. Uh, just as it's about to go up and, you know, we're going to need some more FBI guys, I guess. Um, I I remember being in the cinema and I remember, I remember feeling this. This is not one of those after effects that somebody told me afterwards when he, when he falls and he makes it into the, you know, shoots, shoots the glass, makes it in there before the, the thing topples, you know, the, 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 the reel on the fire hose topples behind him. That the, any other action film that would have been the end of it. He, the, you've just seen the action of him trying to get into the into there. What what makes this different is it thinks about the after effects that the thing falling is going to pull is going to unless he does something about it, it's going to pull him out. He's not out of danger. He's not in that. And I I remember I remember feeling this is this is something different. I mean, I when I came out of Die Hard, I just didn't know what I. I didn't know what I just watched. I, I went back twice and another two times to see it in probably as, not as many days, but certainly in the next few days after that, I went, I went again. Um, no, that was a, it was a great scene because it, it also showed you too, just how much he went through. Like when he was trying to crash in without shooting it, you saw all the, the foot marks covered with blood yeah. all over the window. Yeah. Um, and that was that extra touch. It, yeah. I, I just think that the, the way that they filmed this movie was brilliant. They did a really good job. Yeah, definitely. And I also remember um, pretty much mis misusing some of the, I, I love the, you know, Alan Whitman's theatre, um, you know, theatre background definitely elevates the character because then he's going, um, you know, for, for when Alexander saw the breadth of his empire, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Um, and he's also in the left and he's going, um, Nice suit, John Phillips, London. I have two myself, you know, and then 
casually saying Bremer has it, Arafat buys his there as he as he makes it out the lift. And you're kind of like, this, this, this is the sort of writing, this is the sort of taught writing, you know, there's enough jokes, there's enough Bruce Willis, he brings a lot of moonlighting the David Addison character with him, but makes it into a completely new character that that is flawed. I could t- totally agree. And that for me is the essence of the film is that kind of balance and blend of the humor, the kind of action, the bit more intelligent in a, in a positive way, you know, without being pretentious uh, mm. to the film. I, you know, I think the kind of combination of all that really makes Die Hard what it, what it is. And, and then doesn't shy away from enjoying the action scenes and the explosions and the violence as well. You know, it, I think it's pretty unusual film in that respect. You know, it's not one thing or the other. It's this kind of combination that, that works really well. Yeah. I was going to say uh, with Bruce Willis, he's not a great actor, but he's a great presence. He's got a great smirk. Like, he's got a great smirk, Joe. Well, yeah, but he he's not much different from his Moonlighting character and in other movies that he's been in. He kind of plays himself, you know, similar to like Samuel Jackson, Clint, Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, you know. Um, so some actors don't have to be great actors. They just have to be themselves. And people will fall in love with them. And and that's why he had a fairly decent career for a while. But like you said, he just kind of just stopped after a bit. But he was respected because people liked him. You know, they they didn't need him to do an Oscar winning performance with every movie that he did. They just wanted to see him be himself. Yeah. I mean, I had it on and Amy did come in and she looked at the screen and went, oh, that's the guy from Friends. And you're like, well, yeah, because she'll just know him as the, you know, Ross's um, girlfriend's dad at the time. Um, so, yes, I can't wait to join the, the the ranks, Dom, of introducing Amy at some point to Die Hard and then go, this is what it's about. This is, this is. A- We're going to do Terminator next. I think that's, that's, that's Whoa. Nice. Oh, that's cool. So you're going to start with Terminator and then go to Terminator 2? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think in that order, yeah. And, and then, then end it. And then, yeah, I was going to say, and then they never made any films after that. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, no qualms doing that. <laughs> good Lord. But, you know, we, we could get into a very good discussion about the worst Terminator film after that. I don't think it's Salvation, by the way. I think Terminator Genesis is pretty pretty much hard to beat. As, I didn't as see for it being so just lousy. Oh, there was Dark Fate. There's Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Oh, good Lord. Talking about... I was about to use a terminology that might have to put the tick on the uh, the, the swearing bit, but yes, um, milking it dry, I would say, is the polite version of what I was about to say. Um, so yeah, I, I I think you know we can wax lyrical about the film, and I think you know a lot of people um, it, it it stands out for for, for good reason. The the the, the, the little things again. Agent Johnson, this is Agent Johnson, no relation. I mean, man laughs at that every time she watches Die Hard. She just is tickled by that because it's just it. it, it these are the sorts of things that 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 make it into that that classic that, that people do remember. Um, do we do we have anything else to say about the? I, mean, I know I know we will, but I think is it a good idea to go into to the trivia because then we can probably explore some of the other things. From that, so yeah, I think that's I, a good idea. I, I don't know if if either of you. I know Dom, you you composed with some. I don't know if you have Joe as well. Do you do you have anything? 
you probably have it, but uh, if it's missing, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, well, my first one is on Alan Rickman's first day of shooting, uh, where he films the, the the scene where he meets um, Bruce Willis for the first time. Um, he, he makes that jump off the ledge. It's only about three feet high, uh, but um, he damaged his cartilage in his knee when he landed. Um, and he was told by his doctor not to put any weight on the leg. He has to, he had to use crutches for a week for the rest of the scene where Hans is standing and talking to John McClane. He's on one leg the entire time because he's got a, a leg brace on underneath on the, uh, because he couldn't put the weight on the other one. And I, and I, when I remember watching, I'd, I'd looked at the trivia and then watched that bit in the film. I was like, so he was in pain at some point when, so I did. I did like that one. I also like the fact that it is Bruce Willis riding the elevator, and that's not just special effects, where he's hold, where he's holding on. I love that. I, I love the fact that he, you know, we talk. We look now at somebody like Tom Cruise doing all their own stunts, you know, or doing a, the vast majority of the stunts. But I guess it wasn't the done thing to do at the in the eighties is to to do all your own stunt. Well, to do as many stunts as you as you could. But yeah, I like that one. Um, Bruce Willis, because he was known for playing Moonlighting, um, when the first trailers appeared, said audiences laughed at him, thinking it was supposed to be a comedy. Um, so hence why his 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 face wasn't on the poster. But once the film came out, they they swiftly changed the poster after the first weekend and made it so that he was that because I, I've seen those original posters where it's just the it's just the tower. Um, and I think some of the other ones are 40, 40 levels of terror or something like that. I think it, it came into. Well, again, like over here, yeah, he was known for moonlighting and that's why blind date really didn't do good at the box office because like I said, TV stars have a hard time becoming movie stars. Mm. I think what made this movie successful was word of mouth, you know, people going to see it and it's like, wow, that was just blew me away. I never seen anything like it. Mm. And then more and more people like you would go to school and someone would say, I just saw a die hard. You got to see it. You got to see it, you know, and something that you weren't planning on seeing because Bruce Willis was in it. You're like, all right, I guess I'll go see it. And then when you see it, you're like, holy crap, that was good. I think I'm gonna go see it again, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it like, just like, like me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was almost like, like a virus kept just spreading and spreading and, that's why it was so good. And like, again, it made him a superstar. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, it was, a, it was a great year for films, though. I, um, this, you know, the, I know, Charles, clearly, hence why we're here on your pod discussing 80s films. We, we all love them. But 88, there was, there was this, Coming to America, Who Framed right. Roger Rabbit, Rain Man, Big, Cocktail, Fish Called Wonder. It was just a, a classic era and a classic year within a classic era, I think, for films. And there was so much good stuff out there. All, all those ones I've just listed, I would happily watch and rewatch multiple times. Absolutely. I mean, the reason why Amanda's, sorry, I should have said this. The reason why Amanda's, um, she's, she's not, not doing too good. She's, she's a lot better than she was, uh, but she couldn't make it onto the podcast, which is why she, why she um, gave, gave her score. So she's getting better for the listeners out there. But um, she was, she was saying to me, what, what should I watch? when she's she's been in bed and she's going, what should I watch? So she ended up watching Office Office Christmas Party, which then said, oh, you need to watch Horrible Bosses and then you need to watch, and it was recommending all these films. And I went, why don't you just put on Cocktail? 
And she went, oh, no, I'm not, not so sure about that. I was going, well, how long since you've seen it? She says, probably the 80s. And I was like, well, stick on cocktail. I think, you know. And at the end of it, she went, I love that. That's <laughs> just, that just so good. And it is. And you're right to point out these, these you know, it, what was what is my favourite year of of, uh, of of movies? I'm guessing eighty one because uh, I I just love some of the films that are around there. You know, especially Stripes. You know, Caddyshack. I know was eighty, but around that sort of time. But definitely, the, there's there's something for everyone in the in the eighties because I I just think that you just pick a. I mean, Stand by Me was what eighty six. Um, so you know, you look at something like that and think iconic. Goonies, Gremlins, Back to the Future, you know, all, all of these sorts of things, you know, and then I go back and look at 90s films and, you know, I look at things like, I mean, I watched I watched The Firm with Tom Cruise. That was all right. Okay. But I guess I, I've retreated and it's been very good for the podcast is because I've gone back to to a lot of these films and watched them and predominantly still, still like them, apart from The Mosquito Coast, which I never want to watch again. Um, but you know, there are, I, I, on the whole, I do think they, they match up. I do, I do remember. And I think I recommended that to you, Dom, the Quentin Tarantino, um, interview, with Joe Rogan, where he went, the eighties of the worst decade for films because the seventies had all the, the grit and, and everything else. And the eighties seemed to like turn that on its head. And then in the nineties, you get films like, you know, Pulp Fiction and, 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 you know, obviously he's going to big up himself, but at the same time. I think that's does a huge disservice to the to the you know delightfully crass films like Commando to you know wonderful magical films like ET. Anyway, I know that's getting off that's getting off the point slightly. Have you got any trivia, Dom? Before I go into my next one, what have you got? Can I, can I shoehorn my Oscars uh, research? In By this? all means, it's By a bit. Means. That, you know, I'll just. I'll start with an apology, which is never a strong start, really, is it? But yeah, <laughs> I, I did find some Oscars links. I mean, this film itself, Die Hard, got nominated for four Oscars. They're all in the technical character. Yes, yeah. they would be, yeah. Oscars don't um, like popular films, no. But I thought it's fair play to get nominated for four, though, you know, in the, in the first place, it all be technical. But anyway, it got nominated for three, three of them. It got beaten by the same films. It got nominated for Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects and Best Sound Effects Editing. And it lost out in all three categories to the same film. Can you Ooh. can you tell me what that might be? Nineteen eighty-eight rival. What, was, was it Roger Rabbit? <laughs> Give that man a cigar. Yeah, it was. Yeah, who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am impressed, Charles. I, Techni- I, technically, well, technically, it's you know, it's a it's a better film. But I mean, no, te- te- technically, in the sense of putting it together, yeah, no. Roger Rabbit's. You know, it, it, it is. It's you know. I don't disagree, but I think if you'd had a gun at my head, I wouldn't have told, been able to tell you that uh, that it won those those Oscars. But yes, it did. And then just for completeness, best sound it got nominated for and got beaten by a film which I couldn't remember, Bird, Clint Eastwood's film. Oh, about, with has, um, uh, Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Okay, yeah, I just uh, you know, forgot that one completely. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Die Hard, four Oscars nominations, but no wins, sadly. What a shame. What a shame. Nailed it, though, Charles. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, what else have we got? I do like this. I do like this. So the dispatch supervisor in this that goes, sir, this channel's for emergency use only, right? She is um, 
she plays the air hostess in Die Hard 2. And how did I miss that? Because she's quite she's quite she's uh, quite easy on the eye, if I'm uh, ever allowed to say. Um, yeah. I made a note of that scene because that, that was an excellent scene, wasn't it? So he finally battles his way through all the <laughs> to the rooftop, provides him with a detailed situational assessment. There's a the sound of automatic gunfire in the background <laughs> and her, her nonchalant responses. We'll see if we can have a black and white uh, who could do a drive-by. Drive cut to a cop <laughs> in a donut shop, I thought, yeah. Um, right. Does that happen over there in England? <laughs> yeah, I think when, you know, when machine gun um, fires heard in the background, it, you know, it might have triggered possibly two police cars at that point. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, we might have extended, we might have put our tea down uh, with, our, <laughs> with our pinkies up and gone, I think we need to do something about this. Some hooligans, <laughs> some hooligans at the Nakatomi Plaza, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that there's been a lot of cases like where people call cops and they kind of take it too nonchalantly, you know, the, the people that handle the calls. And um, I could definitely see that being true that scene okay oh, well there you go I even with like, even with well, the machine gun fire they would have said they were play, probably playing a video game or something you know but the fire the the, the the fire alarm being tripped and then suddenly you've got this call from there i mean it's if it is a hoax it's quite elaborate because they've got to actually be there on site to tr- trigger the fire alarm so you would have hoped at some point they go do you know what? I think something might be going on rather than um, no, no effing S lady. Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Well, let me yeah. ask you this. Uh, so did that take place on Christmas Eve? This is Christmas Eve. Yeah. That would never have happened. Uh, first of all, they would never have an office party on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Everybody women home at that point. Uh, uh, well, it is supposed to be Christmas Eve. John, did you? I'm, I'm did just you saying that. No, I, I, I thought I, I, sp- I, I would agree. Yeah, it's un- unlikely and a bit implausible to have it on that date. And I actually read some analysis of the film saying that it was supposed to be making some link between consumerism and the effect of corporate life on family. And I thought, no, they just said it on Christmas Eve. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> a point. But yeah, it is a bit unlikely, I think. Yeah, because at some point, I think when they're done, he, uh, someone says Merry Christmas. So. It probably had gone past midnight, so that was just weird that it would take place on Christmas Eve. But I think that was well, might be part, of the pre- well, part of the trivia that it was supposed to take place during three days at one point, and then they changed it. Well, I think if you come over to England, Joe, it used to be, I mean, I'm not so much now because the kids don't drink as much, but the tradition was you went out on Christmas Eve and you got absolutely laced. And you woke up with a very bad hangover and you just went to the pub to top it up for a, for a couple of beers. Cause the pub was open. The pubs would open up. I don't suppose the much. They, they, I think some of them still do now, especially rural pubs open up between 12 and two. And that's it. That's your lot because you should be going home. You should be going back to, to, um, you know, as sexist as it may sound, the, 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 the wife or the, the other half is, or the, the mother is cooking back at home. And so, but you're out having a having a couple of jars with a bit of wham on the background, you know. But uh, Boxing Day used to be one of the biggest drinking days of the year for seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, wow, I've had some fun Boxing Days. In my oh, life. absolutely! Boxing Day used to be like it almost as if you hadn't drunk for a day, despite the fact on Christmas Day you drank everything. You drank a bit of vermouth. You drank Advocar. You drank. You had that much food inside you by Boxing Day. <laughs> to be honest, I think you were like bulletproof. You could just you know. Right? <laughs> 
15, 20 pints. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, so what happens? So Joe's about to tell us that would never happen. At, what, what would be? No, it would never uh, happen. So no, no, no. Wait a minute, young teenage Joe. Right, uh, drinking. He's got your drinking buddies. You know, you've got your fantasy football or whatever you have at the time. I'm just guessing. I'm just putting words into your mouth. But what would what would a 19 year old Joe do on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day? Stay at home. <sighs> First of all, we don't have Boxing Day. I know you guys have it. I always thought when I heard the word Boxing Day, it had to do with actual boxing, like the sport. Oh, there's usually yeah. a lot. Of, there's usually a lot of fights with with families. Oh, but there? That, that's not where it came from. But um, no, since Swithin's Day, is it? Okay, I think so. Yeah, what do you have? You don't have. So, what do you call the day after Christmas Day in the states? December twenty sixth. Oh. <laughs> do you want? Do you want? Do you want us to ship Boxing Day over to you, Joe? Do you want Boxing Day? Oh no, I mean an extra holiday. I guess an extra holiday would be great, but yeah, no, we never celebrate it. Wait a minute, um, you have to work on Boxing Day. Oh yeah, yeah. What? Well, we, we work on Christmas Eve too, but we get out early. Right. Yeah, yeah. Some people do, but but you would never think, right? Christmas Eve, the boss comes in and goes, "There you go. It's it's two o'clock. Go home early. Enjoy. You know, go and be with your families, and then we just just go and hit the pub." Oh no, we come go out of there about families. <laughs> catch a taxi about half one with a Christmas kebab. Even if a, we yeah. don't like them, we go home to our families. <laughs> you know, the, the routine is midday, you get to leave work early, go to the pub till three, get train, stroll home, whatever it is, hastily grab a bunch of carnations from a uh, petrol station or a gas station on the right hand <laughs> to present your other half. Fall asleep in a chair, wake up sometime on Christmas morning, and magically Christmas has all been prepared and happened. That's, uh, <laughs> that's my experience in the situation. Well, uh, like people go to midnight mass too. Do you have that over there? I know some people do, yeah. Not normally, um, they, they have to extinguish all the candles because there's that much alcohol fumes in the air. <laughs> <laughs> that's that the whole church can go. Maybe uh, diehard explosions look uh, I do know a lot of people that were at the pub and then they left. To go to to go to 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 go to some it wasn't always midnight. There would be some sort of service that they would go to. They would go there. They would take you know take a little something for the road, and then they come back afterwards. But they'd be quite they'd be quite drunk when they were going there. But belt out the carols, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. some some well, some version of them anyway. Jingle bells from the back of the church. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Joe. Uh, Joe, if you ever do make it over here for Christmas. No, I will. I, I will. I'll, try I will to, I'll take you out. Yeah. I'll plan for being there for December 24th because that does sound like fun, actually. We'll, we'll reciprocate and come over for Thanksgiving, which, you know, I can only assume. Oh, I'd love to do Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's my reference point for it. So, yeah. Whenever I, 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 I look at Thanksgiving, I look at planes, trains and automobiles. I look at all of those films set around the sort of Thanksgiving and the stuff you eat on Thanksgiving looks like incredible and some of the some of the dishes that we we just don't have it's just oh yeah we'll come over it's fine okay all right anyway back to a bit of trivia besides <laughs> being a tv star i know trivia we're, we're back into it but this is the reason uh so uh being, being a tv star at the time barely being considered for the role of john mcclain willis had one more hurdle to overcome he was 
obviously one half of Moonlighting. The film shoot would have coincided with the schedule of the show, but Sybil Shepherd had gotten pregnant around the same time. So the film had to be shut down on Moonlighting for 11 weeks, which gave him the, the opportunity to film Die Hard. So Sybil Shepherd being pregnant is not just joyous for Sybil Shepherd, but for action film stars, uh, action film fans everywhere. Did you know that the uh, position of Takagi uh, was uh, supposed to be George Takei from Star, Star Trek? Hmm. No, I didn't know that. Um, and John McTiernan really wanted to cast him, but apparently the way that it's put, Takei's agent got things mixed up and George Takei was not happy at all that he missed out on that. I think he would have been too recognizable. I'm kind of glad they went with the guy that they had. Yeah, I, and he's very good. He, he's very good. The Fox building, which is Nakatomi Plaza, can be seen in a state of construction on the Bruce Willis film Blind Date. And if you want to go and have a look at that and fast forward to it, it appears from David's office window at three minutes, uh, three minutes, so one hour, three minutes and 40 seconds, if you want to go and... Uh, so, yes, he uh, he had experience with the uh, with the tower before. I love this next one. And then I'll pause because I'll give, I don't know, you've got some dog. But did you know Bruce Willis served permanent hearing loss while shooting the film? Um, no pun intended, it says here. Um, in, the, in the Nakatomi conference room. Um, so when, when McLean kills a terrorist, he says, next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. So it's that one where he's firing at him as he's moving up, up the table. Um, and he fires his Beretta through and he just, just afterwards, thanks for the advice. But he suffered severe damage to his left ear. Um, the stunt weapon specialist uh, engineered blanks to be extra loud and the use of plexiglass to protect the actor from flying shell casings and wood splinters um, further increased the sound effect. So in 2019, Willis said, due to an accident on the first Die Hard, I suffered two-thirds hearing loss in my left ear and have a tendency to say, why? Because he's been wearing a hearing aid ever since to make up for the fact that on that scene, it basically lost, near enough lost the uh, hearing in his left ear. I think that's that's like, surely if that was true, you'd have a, you'd have a lawsuit, wouldn't you? I mean, knowing what's going on with Alec Baldwin at the moment, I mean, I know we can't speak too much about that, but I mean, you know, um, you would expect somebody to to have thought about all of this, but it seems to, it seems to be by protecting them, they enclosed it and it amplified it and made it worse. But anyway, so there you go. Dom, what, what have you got? What else have you I got? don't know. You, I feel bad now. You've teed me up. I think I must have used all my material during roll call. And um... Oh, okay. Well, I've just got... I've just got a, a well, I do have a lot more, but I'm not going to go in, into them. The helicopter um, flying around the building. So when they had the helicopters, it took six months of preparation and they only had two hours to film it. It took three runs and nine camera crews. Uh, yeah. So that's quite a. You, you did get the sense that when it's got their money's worth out of the helicopters, didn't they? There were, there were a lot of unnecessaries. Oh, but the when, they, when they're hitting that's the ground and flying up, yeah. Oh, it's just, that's so good. Yeah, but- so after the recent Die Hard, so this goes back to something you were talking about, Joe. After the recent Die Hard, movie executives were keen to copy the formula of one man trapped in an enclosed location fighting off against terrorists. 
So I'm going to give you Die Hard at the thing, and it's now a little quiz. What film am I talking about? Um, Die Hard on a Battleship. Under Siege. Under Siege. Very good. Which is a great film. Um, this is this is a this is maybe the most obscure. Die Hard at a hockey stadium. Oh, that's that uh, isn't that Jean Claude Van Damme? Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, I can't think of the name. Sorry. It was sudden death. Um, uh, you've got three here. Die Hard on various types of planes. Do you want to have a go? Air Force One. Air Force One, definitely. Get off my plane. (laughs) What one was uh, the one with Kurt Russell and uh, Steven Seagal? Ah, so that's good, but that that's not one person. That's a team of people that make it on. That's executive decision. I watched that last week. Um, That's joyously forgettable, but if only for the fact that you don't expect Steven Seagal to die so early in the film. Yeah, yeah. But still, sorry, spoiler alert, everyone. You're not, you're not, you're not including Con Air in that. Uh, yes, Con Air is, is the other one, and uh, Wesley Wesley Snipes for the uh, the other one. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No, I, I, I it's vague. Uh, is it vampires or Passenger Fifty Seven? Yeah, the, uh, Die Hard on a truck. Is that the one where, where he says uh, always bet on black or something like that? Yeah, that's that's the one. <laughs> uh, what, about di- sna- what about snakes on a plane? Oh, wait, what? How's that die? Wait a minute. How's that facing off against terrorists? Unless the well, snakes, yeah, I mean, snakes are carrying terrorists, but it's the snakes. But you know, you, you're basically you know like one guy takes charge. They're enclosed in a plane. Tenuous, Joe. Um, right. Die hard on a train. Wasn't that Under Siege 2? It is. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Um, So they said the films were all the rage in the 90s. Ironically, the Die Hard sequel themselves would move away from having John McClane fight in terrorists in enclosed spaces, with each subsequent film up in the stakes. Um, I I love the way they describe it. Fighting terrorists in an airport and surrounding area, then saving the whole of New York in Die Hard with a Vengeance, and the whole of the USA in Die Hard 4.0. Let's uh, less said about that, the better. Uh, I do a trivia. Yeah, go, go. Let's see if you have this one. I didn't know. So, you had to, sorry, I didn't know if you. I, I thought you didn't have any. Sorry. Well, no, I figured you, you were going to say it. But okay. Um, so this was originally supposed to be a Clint Eastwood movie. Yes, yes, it was. Do you want to tell us a little bit more? No, you can go because <laughs> I really don't remember much about it. But didn't he like buy the rights to it? And he bought the rights to the book, um, uh, apparently. But uh, what I what I had on that, I didn't necessarily had the um, the the because the book was called Nothing Lasts Forever. Um, I was the basis for this, uh, and Frank Sinatra was supposed to be the the lead. And I was like thinking, well, that that doesn't make it not any sense. Um, surprisingly, few of the book's details have changed. Uh, originally, a much older Mac- John McLean was visiting his daughter, who worked for the Claxon Oil Company. Takagi was originally a VP of sales named Rivers. 
Harry Ellis, Al Powell, and Dwayne Robinson are essentially the same, but the FBI weren't involved at all in the book. Hans Gruber was originally Anton Little Tony Gruber, um, while Hans was the name of Carl's brother. Uh, the purpose of the terrorist takeover was to allow the West German radical group to uncover a legal arms shipment Claxon was making to a Chilean dictatorship. Finally, in the end scene, which was Christmas morning at 10 a.m., Anton Gruber is shot by Leland, falls out the window, also catching a finger on Holly Gennaro's watch and pulls her out, in this case, pulls her out the window to her death. So instead of like letting the, the letting it go, she actually dies in, in that scene. Um, I was going to say, now that you mentioned that scene, I got a problem with that scene. Oh, okay. Well, no, I just don't think that would happen. <laughs> Sorry, we're talking about uh, we're talking about one man in a you know in a building. I mean, what we've just said is that this is this is obviously an action film, and there are there are bits that that make this better than better than the rest, and you know that, like they thought about it. But you have a problem with the final scene. Yeah, I mean, I know. I think it was more symbolic because the watch was given to her by the company, and hmm. it was basically she was now putting her husband above the company after what they had gone through. Um, but yeah, I mean that he's holding on to the watch and then they unclip the watch and that's what causes him to fall. It's great. No, never would happen. Sorry. See, but the trivia on that is for where he's, where he falls from the top of the building, he was actually falling from a 21 foot high model. He was holding onto a stunt man and it's going to fall onto an airbag. So to get the right reaction, the stuntman dropped Alan Rickman on the count of two, not three, which is why you get that startled, that that startled um, uh, thing from Alan Rickman. Um, I like that. I just think that's you know, if you're going to get a particular shot out of someone, just just don't tell them. Anyway, I I am out. I am out for the trivia, and I think we've got a nine, a nine, and a ten. I was just say one last thing uh, on trivia. So now you would know this, Charlie, more than me, but I had seen that uh, this year on Call of Duty, they released uh, John McClane as one of the they, characters they that you can play. Uh, for the Cold War, yeah, you could. So you could have Rambo and you could have, uh, so you could have First Blood 2 Rambo and John McClane from uh, Die Hard. And they had N- Nakatomi Plaza on the map too. Uh, they did for special scenes, but you had to buy it to unlock it in order to to use it. It was only for a limited time as well. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I saw the the plaza. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, more, more things like that. But it just goes to cement that it needs no explanation, to, even to the kids these days. It's, it's you know, it's John McClane. And the amount of people that were running around in the game means that a lot of people bought this, bought that skin. Um, and still like to use it. I mean, I've moved on to Call of Duty Vanguard now, which is which is okay. Not brilliant. Did, did you guys ever play Die Hard Trilogy? Yes, on the PlayStation. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, it was a very good uh, movie video game. Yeah, I, I remember it being on. Yeah, I remember it being good. Um, yeah, they, they, they need to bring out a new Die Hard. We just need to, we need to. That, I think that would be a great, well, I'm just yeah. saying, yeah, that'd be a great video game if they did something like that. Yeah. I'm afraid that now Disney owns the rights to Die Hard. They're going to reboot it. Well, the, it'll, it'll fail again. It'll fail in the same way that 
home home sweet home alone or whatever well everything that they do that they reboot is oh, dreadful dreadful just just leave just you know leave it alone i mean if they make hunt for it if they try to remake hunt for red october and, and say the only way that that would work is if they made the book i mean the book is superior to the film and the film is outstanding but that is a good book um but then they'll probably make Patriot Games, but not with Charles and Diana and do the same sort of thing as they did with... Ugh, God. I'm just saying, I have a feeling there's going to be an announcement by Disney, and I would not be surprised if Will, Will Smith took over the role as John McClane. Well, Will Smith is in his, like, it's nearly 60, isn't he? I don't know. Well, I mean, hardly a step, you know... Of course, it will all be woke, Joe, and it will all be not as good. Um, but still, we don't have to watch it. We always have, you know, we, we'll always have Paris, as they say. We'll always have the old 80s films. I'll always have summer rental to go back and watch. And we'll always have planes, trains and automobiles, won't we, Dom? So, yeah. Whenever we want a lift, we'll have Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. We'll have all of that. Just at that point, he's frozen. Oh, Oh man, that's where. Anyway, right, gentlemen, it's been wonderful, Um, exactly as I thought it would be. Um, It's a delight to talk to you after watching Spider Man. Um, But Joe, I will see you tomorrow for the uh, Spider Man roundtable, where I I might be the the sole dissenting voice on that on that group. But who knows? Uh, There might be people that feel the same way as me. the next film that we're going to cover, Amanda will be back, uh, just like James Bond. Uh, she will be back, and we will be doing Lethal Weapon, uh, oh, cool. which is Christmassy. Again, Christmassy. Do we agree on that one? Is, uh, now, is Lethal, I don't think Lethal Weapon is as, is as clear-cut a Christmas film as Die Hard is, but... Do we agree that it's not a Christmas movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lethal Weapon, one of their rare films to be um, surpassed by a sequel. Do we do we agree with that as well? Ooh, that's a tough. That's a. I know we're I know we're setting up a trailer for like the the next podcast, but that's that's a good point. Um, two two is two is exceptionally good. Better, Better. Dip- I've come out and said it. Better. Dip- diplomatic immunity. Yeah, Patsy yeah. Kensett. Yeah. It had it all. Patsy Kensett. Patsy Yeah. But you know, is is Terminator better than Terminator Two? Well, oh, we could get into as you're about to find out, Dom, as you do them both in order. So uh, we'll we'll leave you with your uh, Schwarzenegger future robots um, d- delight movie marathon to come. Uh, but thanks, gentlemen. I really I really enjoyed recording this. Thanks for your time. Me too. Thank you. Cheers. Do you want to give Thank a you. Do you want to give a little buzz for the the podcast, Joe, before we go? Yeah, if you want, uh, you can follow us at WDWNT Nerd Alert. We discuss a lot of Marvel, Star Wars, Disney, and the competition, DC, and uh, we have a lot of fun. Uh, Charlie will be joining us this weekend, and the podcast should be out next week. We're we're going to be discussing uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. We're having a roundtable, and this is going to be pretty big. I think there's going to be almost 10 people on this show. So we will see how that goes. We never had so many before. I hope I don't bring it down, Joe, but let's, I, I, well, will, I, I can justify every single bit. You and I will be on the same tag team, my friend. Oh, excellent. I knew it. 
I knew it. Maybe for the same reasons, but let's not spoil it. Let's not discuss it. Anyway, okay. nice one. Cheers, everyone. See you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>